We're going through a series called When God Speaks, and uh, God speaks to us. God speaks through many different ways, and more than the fact that he does speak to us, I think that's established. He speaks to us through church, dreams, the Word of God, through prayer, Holy Spirit, through circumstances. I think phase two of that is, why does God speak to us? That's what we've been exploring. Why does God speak to us? What is he trying to say, and what, what does he want of us? And so today, we're exploring Samuel. Last week, we talked about Moses, and what God wanted Moses was just simply to surrender. I can't free Israel from Egypt, and God is saying, I'm calling you. Here's what I'm asking of you. Surrender, because I'm going with you. Now, Samuel, we're going to talk about Samuel, and that is going to be a different kind of calling, and we'll see why. So before I continue, would you bow your heads with me and we'll ask the Holy Spirit to help us with the word this morning. Holy Spirit, we believe that this word of God is from you. It's true. It is infallible. It is, it is our bread. We don't worship the word of God. We worship the living word, Jesus Christ. But through the word, we hear and we know your heart for us. And this word is dynamic in a way that it speaks to us no matter how old we are, and you call us vividly. At this time, I just ask for your help to help me and to help us understand your word in a way that we could hear you rather than the voice of a person. And so God, continue to lead our church by the truth and the faithfulness of your holy scriptures so that we could draw closer and intimately nearer to you, Jesus. Thank you so much for all your sacrifice and grace that we may have life and to have trueness of who we were meant to be in your kingdom. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Positions and titles do not mean a thing to the kingdom of God. Positions and titles do not mean a thing in the kingdom of God. So, for example, if you're the president of the United States or a pastor of a church and you go face God and you say, you know, well, God, I am the president of the United States, God doesn't go, whoa. But on a more encouraging level, God can use you whether you have a title or a position or not. And so, if we look at Samuel today, you'll recognize God doesn't call people who have been equipped, but he, what we say is, equips the called. In other words, he doesn't look at your profile, your intelligence, your resume and say, ooh, that's a good one. I want to use him. He looks at the heart and the purity and says, I want to use her, and I will give her all that she needs. So position and title, they do not mean a thing in the kingdom of God. Your heart and your nearness to him matters. And I want to frame today's message in that first. And when we think about God's calling, I want to just talk about that really quick, especially for the younger people. God's calling, we confuse it with career. What is God calling you to be? Uh, I think I'm going to open up a business. Um, God's calling is not necessarily a career path. That, those are two different things. God's calling may involve that. Like for me, obviously I became a pastor but God's calling goes bigger than just your vocation or your job. And so his calling first, this is helpful, 
It's always going to be to himself, not to a job. God's calling will always be to who? Himself. So when he speaks to you, he doesn't go, go to Minnesota and just let you go. He goes with you intimately, and together we walk to Minnesota. Or Moses, who, who am I to go to Egypt? I will go with you. Moses, stay close with me. So God's calling is always to himself first. So when someone's like, I want to be a YouTube rock star, I want to get 50 million viewers, I'm called to greatness, that's not a calling. That's your dream and ambition, but calling is always to God in his heart and intimately with him first. So just take a moment. When you think about your life and your calling, if God was not in the equation as the source first, stop one, you probably might be a little lost. And so this is what we say in John 15, 5, Jesus says this, I am the vine. Let's read this together. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So Jesus is saying, when you're called, I'm not just calling you to do some activity. I'm calling you to me first. Because apart from me, no matter what you try, you can do nothing for the kingdom of God. So, Positions and titles don't mean a thing. It is a calling to God first. So I define calling to God this way. Very simple. A calling is from God and to God first and for God's purpose. So a calling from God is from God. It's to God first and it's for his purpose. And so we want to talk about Samuel. And so with Samuel, he was a... In today's verse, he was a little boy, maybe about seven, eight years old. He's living with Eli, a priest. And today in verse 7, we, we read that he, for the first time in his life, he heard the voice of God. And the voice of God says, you know, now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. So Samuel is growing up in a priest temple, but he never encountered God. And so he's like, I know I'm supposed to be good, and I'm following the priest. But this, in chapter 3, he encounters God. Who is Samuel? Just real background. Samuel is probably one of the greatest heroes. But I want to just say this. As I studied this book this week, Samuel's mother, Hannah, is probably one of the greatest persons in the whole Bible. She is an incredible woman of faith and courage and perseverance and dedication. So, so this is... Samuel, he, he was the one that succeeded a priest named Eli. Eli was not a great priest, but he was a terrible father. Now, dads, don't you feel encouraged that the Bible has bad dads? Like, the Bible talks about people who are not the greatest dads. After replacing Eli, Samuel would lead the people to turn away from the idol worship that they were constantly stuck in. Great leader. Then he would lead the Israelites to defeat the Philistines and brought peace on the land for decades. Under Samuel, Israel asked for a king. He was the, he was the leader that Israel was following, and they said, can we get a king? And it's so childish. This is what Israel said. You know, do your kids ever say this? Um, 
hey, everybody in our town has a color TV. Why don't we? We want it too. I remember that. I remember saying that to my parents. Everyone has an Atari 2600 video game system. Why don't we? The nations were saying, everyone has a king. Why don't we? And Samuel says, no, God is your king. But God said, you know what? Let's give this a go. I'm a little hurt too, but God is a sovereign God who lets us. So Samuel ushers in the first king. Who is the first king of Israel? Saul. And Saul was a great tall man, good-looking man. God's favor was on him, but Saul turned from the Lord, lived in sin, and God rejected Saul. And under Samuel, we found the greatest king. Samuel find in the family of Jesse, David. And so what is a calling? It's a calling from God, to God, and for God's purpose, and Samuel captures that. But two things Samuel's known for, and all, a lot of commentaries will summarize in this, Samuel was known to be someone who has absolute devotion to God, and he stood against the culture and the crowd. And in our, in our lives, the next bullet point, Samuel stood against the culture and the crowd, and in our definition, that is what makes a great leader. And so the story behind, so that's Samuel. And so I'm not sure if you've heard of Samuel, but now you've got a gist of this guy who was the last judge or priest that, came, that was in Israel before God found the king. But the story that we're focusing on in chapter 3, there's a story behind the story, and there's TV shows like Jerry Springer, you know, those talk shows. Remember Phil Donahue? And sometimes Oprah Winfrey and Dr. Phil, they had these like family dysfunction stories. Well, I want to share with you the story behind the story. Because the way Samuel was called, there was a big background dysfunction. And God's calling Samuel was specifically and intentionally just uh, unique and purposeful. So here's a story behind story. Samuel, his, name was, his mother's name was Hannah. And Hannah was married to a man named Elkanah. So it's like a storytelling time. Chapter 1 of Samuel. If you want to read a great, great section of the Bible that's got action, drama, romance, and, and like tension, read 1 Samuel. And so Samuel's dad was Elkanah. Elkanah had two wives. Now grown. Grown, like, can you guys go, oh. Because the Bible never prescribes polygamy. But it, it happened. And every time there was more than one wife, there would always be a problem. And Elkanah had a wife named Penina and Hannah. Now, it says Penina had many kids. And she's not the nicest lady. So how did she look at Hannah, who had no kids? It says she provoked Hannah, for she had none. Grown. I mean, that is terrible. Oh, Hannah, where are your kids? Oh, I forgot, you don't have any. I mean, can you imagine that? So Hannah was a godly woman devoted, and she did not give up. She was trusting God, sought his favor. 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 10, it says, In her deep anguish, what did Hannah do? She prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. 
And she made a vow saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life and no razor will ever be on his head. She's saying, gosh, if you could just give me a boy, it'd be great. And if you did, I would dedicate him. He's yours. Uh, God hears her prayer, and it's funny, she's praying out loud, and then so Eli comes and thinks she's drunk because she's going, but that's how they prayed, he should have known better, and then she tells a story, and he says, go, God has heard your prayer. It's kind of romantic, following weekend, you know, Elkanah and Hannah, um, they, they make love, and then God remembers, and she is pregnant, and so what happens after she was born, he was born, 1 Samuel 1.22, She said to her husband, after the boy is weaned, around three or four years old, I will take him and present him before the Lord, and he will live there forever. So when Samuel was four, she fulfilled her promise and gave Samuel to the priest. Stop right there. 21st century. Are we living in a helicopter mom-dad culture? Yes or no? Can you imagine doing this? Dropping off a four-year-old boy. Why does she do it? Is she crazy? No. Because in this culture, in this time, priests were known to be the protecting ones, and they were not that weird. <laughs> and she's fulfilling her promise to God. Because who, did Sam- who gave her Samuel? God did. God heard her prayer. Parents, just a real quick, just a side. Who... Who owns your kids? They are the Lord's. They are not ours. We are stewards. We lead them. We counsel them and guide them. They are not our treasure, our dreams, our hopes. They are entrusted to us to lead them in the ways of the Lord. And the people said, we have to return to that. That children are given by God for God. And so, so she goes on, this is not radical, right? So she does it. And interwoven in these first two, three chapters, you have the story of, so you have Hannah's story, and then there's a second story weaving in intentionally, and you have the story of Eli and his sons. How many of you heard of Eli and his sons before? Some of you. Oh, man, it gets good. So Eli, it says this, ready? I think I have this verse. Okay, what's the next verse? Okay, oh, moving on. All right, keep going. <laughs> we passed that. Okay, we passed that a long time ago. <laughs> okay, let's read this together. Eli's... The computer is a scoundrel. Ready, here we go. Eli's sons were scoundrels. Why? What makes you a scoundrel? Because, what, you, you're terrible at sports, you're not cool? No. What makes you a scoundrel? Samuel writes, Eli's sons were scoundrels. Why? They had no regard for the Lord. Why is this a problem? Do you know what Eli's sons' jobs were? This is where the title, doesn't matter, comes in. They were priests of the people. They were Levites. And this is what they did. Can you imagine... Pastor Jason, during offering time, we're about to give offering. And then I look over to Scott as the offering basket is turning around. 
and he's about to give like an offering and I look at his wallet. I said, no, 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 no. Let me look at your wallet. This. You could give this. I take a chunk of what I want and he doesn't get to put in an offering to God. Eli's sons were taking the meat that was given to sacrifice, to boil. And after it boils, they're allowed to take a fork, a servant, and then take a meat for themselves. But it goes to God first. What they were doing was, before the meat was even cooked, they went to the people and said, no, before you put it in there, I want it. They had no regard for the Lord. It was blasphemous, sacrilegious to the offering of God. Now, Eli was a good dad. So he surely came down on them, trained them well, say no. And so Eli is this weak dad who's not able to contain his sons. And it says in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 17, this sin of the young men was very great in the Lord's sight. No, duh. When you take God's offering and take it for yourself, that's robbing from God, literally. For they were treating the Lord's offering with contempt. And so it goes on in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 25. His sons, however, did not listen to their father's rebuke, for it was the Lord's will to put them to death. By the way, if you haven't trained your kids by the time they're like 15, it's hard. If you haven't disciplined your kids by the time they're teenagers and then you're trying to discipline them at 25, good luck. And so Eli, it's too late. And, the, and so it says, for it was the Lord's will to put them to death. Wow. Verse 26, right after that, you see the comparison. And the boy Samuel continued to grow in stature and in favor with the Lord and with people. You see the parallel there? Title and position, priest, great religious people. And who is God favoring? The little boy that was born to a desperate woman with no title. Does God care about titles? He cares about the heart. So 1 Samuel 2.29, this is what God says to Eli, and we get a clue. Why do you scorn my sacrifice and offering that I prescribe for my dwelling? Why do you honor your sons more than me? This is God talking. Parents, why do you honor your children more than me? Why do you honor your sons more than me by fattening yourselves on the choice parts of every offering made by my people, Israel? Does God care that he comes before our children? You betcha. And do our children turn out well when we put them first before God? We've seen it over and over and over again. This is not pleasant to hear, but isn't this the truth throughout centuries? And so Eli, what was Eli? He was a child-pleasing, sin-enabling, permissive parent who didn't know how to discipline. And they had no respect for Eli. And because of that, they would continue in their sin, be rejected, and God says to Eli, you and your sons will be finished, and I will start a new line. Guys, that's heavy. Thank God that there is some hope that in Samuel there is a calling, that there is something that God is not going to give up on in Israel. So here's a contrast. You have Hannah, a humble wife, out of desperation, fully surrenders to God and gives her son to the Lord. Not my dreams, God, but yours. May your voice and your calling be on the child. And Samuel grows up to do great things. 
What is spiritual authority? I wrote it here. And this is uh, something I learned recently, but also I just like the way he captures it. Take a moment in silence to read that. Elders, deacons, pastors, choir leaders, choir members, priest team members, Bible study teachers, youth pastors, your titles do not mean a thing in and of themselves. Spiritual authority that God cares about is the fragrance of God and Jesus Christ on you because you're so intimate with him. People said, amen. This is what God is looking for and why Samuel stood out and why Eli and his sons were considered scoundrels. We all sin. The problem with Eli and his sons is they rejected God, the very source of authority. And so, where are you going with this, Jason? And I'll just end it with just a short thing. What do we learn from God's call to Samuel? Calling of God. And all of you have a calling. It's not merely to a position. God did not call me to be a pastor. He called me. And so, to be holy. Let me say that all together. The calling of God is not merely to a position. It is to holiness. Can you say holiness? God's calling to Samuel was not to a role or a job. It was first to me, God, so that you can be holy. By the way, holy means set apart. Um, you know, we have a dog. Dog poops. You could use a lot of things to pick up a poop. It's probably not a good idea to use a big ladle that I use for cooking. So we have something set apart for that. We have plastic bags. We have something set apart for hygiene. We have something set apart for cooking. Holy just simply means set apart for a function. Each of you have been set apart, if you're in Christ, to be holy, set apart for whose purposes? God's purpose, not yours. And Samuel got that. Hannah got that. God's calling to me is not to be a priest. It is to holiness. So, 1 Peter 1.15, Peter says, But just as he call, who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do, for it is written, Be holy because I am holy. One definition of holiness is this. Ultimately, holiness is, a, not, is, about, holiness is about wholeness. It is a journey toward finding out who we really are toward being at peace with ourselves, others, and the world around us. Isn't that cool? When you hear the voice of God and you set apart your life for the Lord, Jesus, I am yours, and you live in that holiness, the Bible is saying, and the Christians are saying, there you find wholeness. In there you find true identity. There you find who you were created to be from day one. That's exciting. I didn't want to be a pastor, and I may not end up finishing my life as a pastor. Why am I a pastor at this point? Because I merely heard the voice of God and say, whatever it is, God, I will do it. I am yours. He could say, be a garbage man. He could say, go open up a boba tea shop. I don't know what he'll say, but whatever it is, God, I am set apart for who? You, in holiness. And so... I want to just 
say these two things. Samuel has two lines in this whole chapter. Did you catch Samuel's lines in the first reading? The first thing he says, here I am, you called me. Can you say that? Here I am, you called me. The first thing he says, even before he hears the voice of God, you see his heart. He goes to Eli in the middle of the night. Here I am, you called me. The first sign of someone called with a heart of holiness is obedient response. Here I am, you called me. God, here I am, you called me. When God speaks, don't filter out, ooh, I don't like what he says. Or, ooh, that one was nice. If God speaks, what is the response? Here I am. You called me. But the second response Eli told him to say, I think is so practical for us that I want you guys to embed this in your prayers. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Can we say that together? Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Can you imagine if Eli's sons said that prayer? Speak, Lord, your servants are listening. You're sinning and you're robbing me. Repent and turn to me and I will forgive you. And Eli's sons responded, yes, Lord. It would have been a different story. See, God doesn't measure you by how many times you fail. He measures you by the humility in your heart to turn to him in all things. This is why I love Jesus. Jesus, I failed again. And Jesus says, just give it to me. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And so church, the calling of Samuel, I just want to say to you is this. Is God speaking to you today? You better believe it. Is God active today? You better believe it. Does God want you in his purpose and story today? And the people said, amen. How do we respond to that? In humility. Here I am, Lord. Speak. Your servant is listening. I will go. May that be the prayer for each of you. And I'm excited to see what God can do when you're willing to say, here I am. Let's pray. God, two families. And one family is cast out from your favor because they thought they could do life apart from you in their own power, might, and title position. Another family who just seemed desperate and who couldn't even have a child, and God, you answered. But in humility, mom and son both dedicate their lives to you. God, may we see this picture and realize the people you're calling are not the smartest, best-looking, or high in capabilities, but you're just simply looking for humble people willing to go wherever you want them to be. So in Jesus Christ, may we take that John 15, 5 verse and recognize you are the vine and we are the branches. And when we remain in you and you in us, we can bear so much fruit, God, in our lives. But apart from you, Jesus, we can't do anything. So this morning here and now, we give our lives to you. And as we reflect on the coming week, months, and years ahead, may you build hearts of Samuels in all these men and women to simply say, here I am. 
Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Would you pray with me the prayer that our Lord taught us? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let's all stand together, sing about our God and his great faithfulness.